So I have a question for you as we get started this morning, which is, when was the last time that you remember handwriting a letter? Not a thank you note. Those don't count. I'm talking handwriting a lengthy letter, not typing, not emailing. I would suspect for most of us in this room, it has been a long, long time. I try to explain this concept to my children that when Shannon was living in California and I was going to seminary in Princeton, we actually wrote letters to each other because there was a fee for long distance phone calls. Most of you in this room probably remember those days that, you know, you only had so much money that you were able, wanted to spend on a long distance phone call. And so you got to the point where you actually hand wrote letters to explain what was happening or what was going on or how you felt or whatever it was. They were, it was this process. Well, this morning we are going to take a look at something that is very rare in the scriptures, and that is a handwritten personal letter. Um, there's a few other letters in the New Testament. Uh, you think of First and Second Timothy, where the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy. But when the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, he's mostly writing in, to deal with the issue of how the church is behaving in Ephesus. But in Second and Third John, which we're going to read from Third John this morning, it is many what many believe the Apostle John. Uh, John, the, the the beloved apostle that we read about in the Gospel of John, they believe that it is this John that is writing to another man leading a church by the name of Gaius. And, and as you read this letter, it is it is a letter that is uh, built in with terms of endearment, with passion, with encouragement, and and really in this sense of this sermon series that we are talking about, uh, this idea of graciousness and a generous welcome and what hospitality is all about. And so we get to kind of listen in on John writing to Gaius about how Gaius has been acting and behaving and caring for so many. So we are in 3 John. There is only one chapter, and we're going to read the first eight verses. We read this. The elder, who most believe is John, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Notice this, my dear friend. Uh, The literal translation of that is beloved. My beloved friend. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and all that may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. John says to Gaius, I have no greater joy than to know that you are walking in the truth, to know that you are living out the truth, 
to know that your faith is being expressed to others. So much so, because this is basically a group of church people, a group of people who have been helping to plant churches who return to John's community of faith, and they say, do you know about Gaius? Do you know what a faithful servant of God he is? Do you know the kind of hospitality that he has extended to us? And so John writes to him and says, thank you for walking in the truth. Thank you for being faithful to the call. Thank you for your friendship. So in this sermon series we began a couple of weeks ago, we're, we're capturing it around this theme of hospitality, this idea of a generous and a gracious welcome. And we began the series. Y'all remember where we began? I guess I could ask the question. Y'all remember where we began this sermon series a couple of weeks ago? The Garden of Eden, right? You're like, Genesis 1, that sounds like a good answer. That's the right answer. We began in the garden in the sense that God creates this space and this place of welcome, this space that where God actually walked with his people. And he was there in their midst. And he says, this is your home. And then last week, we turned our attention to Romans chapter 15, and we talked about a hope-filled generosity, where the Apostle Paul writes to the church at home at Rome and says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you might overflow with hope as you rely on the Holy Spirit. Overflowing with hope. And so as we read this letter from John to Gaius, we, we pick up on those images of how Gaius had offered his home, he'd offered his table, he'd offered his friendship to a bunch of traveling evangelists who were seeking to share the good news of Jesus with others. And he did that because he was able to overflow with hope. So in thinking about that, though, there's also something else that was happening in all of that. And I think then this, this season of encouragement that John is giving to Gaius, there's a, there's a different kind of question I want to look at that, that is, that is kind of built on all of what we've just been talking about. And it's a question that came to me a number of months ago when I, as many of you know, I serve on the board of uh, trustees of Whitworth University up in Spokane, Washington. And we were having a board meeting and, and one of the chaplains was made this statement of saying, kind of like, what is one of the goals of the campus ministry at Whitworth University, a Christian college? Now, Whitworth as a university receives those who are believers and those who are not believers. It does not have a strict code of like who can come in and who can't come in or people have to write a faith statement. And so, so you have this interesting blend of those who follow Jesus and those who don't follow Jesus, uh, which really makes for an interesting way of being, how do you do campus ministry in a context like that? And he said this, he said, you know, our, one of our goals of campus ministry is that when students leave this place, they are closer to Jesus than when they arrived. Our goal is to have our students, when they actually, when they graduate, that they are closer to Jesus than when they got here which meant that some means that someone can walk in as an absolute atheist and the goal of campus ministry is to say, I just want you to be closer to Jesus. I just want you to know more of Jesus when you leave this place. Or for the one who comes in with a super strong, incredible sort of faith to say, 
That's great, but you know, when you leave this place, we still want you to be even closer to Jesus. And what it did for me is it raised a question in my own life, which is a question I want to ask us today. Are we helping people get closer to Jesus? Thank you. One of you is. That's good. I know the rest of you all thought yes as well. But are we, are we being intentional about thinking about that in my words and in my actions? Am I helping to move people closer to Jesus? Or perhaps a more dangerous question is in my words and my actions. Am I causing people to actually get further away from Jesus? In my behavior, in my conversations, in the way in which I treat people, am I helping them draw closer to Jesus? And it's just a question that has kind of gnawed at me ever since I first heard this idea. And since we're talking about hospitality and we're talking about graciousness and we're talking about goodness and we're talking about welcoming one another, I think to myself, like, isn't this part of our role? Isn't the greatest that God has given us this incredible gift of hospitality and God has given us a space and a place and God says, I want you to call other people into this place where they can know me. Like, isn't that, isn't that the goal? So kind of the question then is, well, how do we do that? So I'm going to go way, I'm going way, way back in history, not back to the days when we used to write handwritten letters. I, I was telling someone, I said, I'm going to use this, uh, this book that uh, Bill Hybels wrote a long, long, long time ago. And someone said, well, how long ago did he write this book? And I said, well, I don't know, but I taught it when I was in Lubbock, Texas, which was 18 years ago. So I know the, the book's been probably around for 20, 20 plus years. But he wrote this book called Walk Across the Room. Bill was a, a senior pastor at Willow Creek Community Church. And, and in this book, he said he, ch- it was this challenge, which I alluded to in, in creating, thinking of my own personality. I alluded to this last week. And he's saying, look, sometimes you have to get out of your comfort zone. Sometimes you actually have to walk across the room. Sometimes you actually have to take the initiative in order to create a relationship so that somebody might come to know Jesus. Because we think about Jesus in his life. He was, he was an itinerant. He traveled a lot. He moved around a lot. But what did he always do? He always sought to move closer to people and he always sought to be in relationship with those people. So Heibel suggested three things, which is the three things I'm going to give to you today when we think about this idea of how is it that we help to draw people closer to Jesus? Now, some of you are saying, but Paul, I'm not an evangelist. Well, I'll tell you what, this may shock you, but when we used to do those spiritual gifts surveys, guess what gift I did not have? Evangelism. Most of us Presbyterians, I hate to break it to you, do not have the gift of evangelism. And that's okay. Not all of us are going to be Billy Graham. Not all of us are going to be the people who can take the stage and say and do these incredible things and draw people into a relationship. But what I loved about Heibel's book was what he offers. He says, anyone can do this. They all start with the letter D, okay? So we're going to have a nice little alliteration here. The first thing he says you need to do is you need to develop friendships. And you think to yourself, well, that's not that hard. Well, I want to tell you it sometimes is hard, and I want to tell you how important it is. If you're listening to all the research lately and you're listening to all kind of the, well, there's a lot of depressing news out there. I will grant you that. But there is, we are in an era and an age right now of a great decoupling. People are pulling themselves out of community. People are pulling themselves out of civic groups. They're spending more and more time alone. 
And what does that mean? They don't have true friends. We need to be intentional about developing friendships with others. John chapter 15, Jesus himself gives us this great encouragement, even about himself, but then also how we are to relate to others. Verses 13 through 16, greater love has this, has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. He's got his apostles there. He says, you are my friends if you do my command, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. And listen to this line. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Everything. There's this God download given through Jesus to the apostles. I've taught you all of this, he says. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Notice the trajectory of this. Jesus says, I've called you my friends. I've given you everything that you need to go to know. And as you go out and you pray in my name, God is going to answer your prayers. This is an incredible gift, but it begins with Jesus saying, look, you are no longer my servants. You are not my servants. You are my friends. What did Jesus do? He developed friendship. How are we doing at developing friendships? This Notice this doesn't say deepening friendships. It says developing, which means doing something new. Now, I'm not saying you don't want to deepen your friendships. Don't go home and say, well, Pastor Paul said, don't deepen your friendships. That's not what I'm saying, because step two helps you to deepen the relationship. So we have deepened friendships, right? The second thing is this, discover stories. How do we discover stories? Let me suggest to you that we discover stories by actually listening to people. We are terrible. Let me back this up. I am terrible at being a good listener. And I can blame culture, and I can blame society, and I can blame TikTok, which actually I'm not on TikTok, so I can't blame that. Um, We are a community and we are a people who, for the most part, do not listen well. You go to ask somebody about their story, and I can guarantee you within 30 to 45 seconds, what are you doing? You're interrupting them in order to tell them your story. Or they start to tell you about something, and what do you do? You jump in immediately and say, oh, yeah, 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 I I understand that. I was there. And sometimes I think God's just like, shh, listen for the narrative. To be a friend means that you need to listen to others. To develop a friendship with one another so that at some point in some sort of manner, you might be able to actually talk to them about who Jesus is or who this God is or why it is that you go to church or why it is that you believe in who God is. You have to discover their story. James chapter one. So I'll just back this one up with scripture, right? That's easier to do than just to be anecdotal and give you all all sorts of ideas. But listen to what James says, first chapter, 
verses 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone. Y'all remember this verse, right? Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. We should be quick to listen and slow to speak. When you are talking to someone as a friend, it means you actually care and you actually want to hear their story because their story matters. Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse two. Now I want to, I want to fully acknowledge this because I'm doing something that I don't always like to do, which is this, this theological concept called eisegesis, right? There's this concept called exegesis, which is when you go to a text and you look at the text historically, contextually, you look at who it's being written to, you look at kind of all everything that's going on around that text, and that's called exegesis, and that's going to, being a good biblical scholar and doing what it is I think that God wants you to do. But every time, sometimes now and then, there's just a verse that's so good, it's like, oh, I'm going to just twist it a little bit. Okay, so... I'm readily admitting this, right? So if you go to Ecclesiastes chapter five and you look at the context of this verse, it is the, it is Solomon or the, the one who's writing Ecclesiastes saying, I'm walking into God's house. Okay. So this is the context. They've gone in to worship. Okay. Y'all with me on this? So that's the exegesis. Here's Paul Cunningham's eisegesis. Okay. It's the very last line of this verse, which is Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse two. Do not be quick with your mouth. It kind of sounds like James, right? Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven. You are on earth. So let your words be few. So if you need a verse to remind yourselves to just kind of hush for a little while and listen, remember this one. God is in heaven and you're not. You are on earth. And let your words be few. Do you know how many people just want someone to listen to their story? We are in a society, endemic, is that the word? Not pandemic, endemic, right? COVID has kind of messed me up on all these things. But there is an endemic, does that, that doesn't sound right. Endemic of, loyal, of loneliness, Scott, is that right? Endemic, am I, using, am I saying that correctly? It's good to have an English lit so a pastor, right? There, there, it is this endemic of loneliness. And if people are, and you can do the research, I'm, I'm not going to depress you with on this, all this, but you can do the researches and people are pulling and pulling themselves away from community. So they have no one to tell their story to. So guess what happens when you show up and you're their friend? You know them, see them, love them unconditionally, you listen to their story. You don't speak over their story. Because you know what might actually happen if we do that? If as we try to show hospitality to one another, and as you listen for their story, and as you ask them questions about their story, do you know what often happens in those moments? You can actually help them as they write, a next great chapter. Because what are stories all about? They're chapters. Short stories, long stories. But they all have chapters. 
and a God-based, a Jesus-based, gracious hospitality, I believe can help others write a next great chapter. Because some people feel like their chapter they're in right now stinks. And it might stink. But it's not the end. So as our words are few, and as we listen to the stories of others, I believe we can actually help people connect more and more with the reality of who God is. We can set the table. We can invite people in. Okay, so we started. I'm going to pay, ask you all if you're paying attention. I've done two Ds of the three Ds so far. Now you're stressed. Develop friendships. Discover story. Okay? Develop friendships. Discover story. The third one is this. Discern next steps. Because here's the problem that happens. You and I are like, oh, yeah, I'm developing this friendship. And, oh, yeah, I'm a great listener. And then it's like, well, that's great. But you and I have the greatest story that's ever been told. You and I know the love of this amazing God. You and I know that people need other people. You and I know that they need the love of a Savior because they're a broken, fallen world that we are living in, and people are broken and fallen, and people are depressed, and people are lonely, and they need something or someone to cling on to. And so this idea of saying, look, if we're going to move people close to Jesus, and if I'm going to help move people closer to Jesus, I not only need to be developing friendships, and I not only need to be discovering story, I need to be discerning, like, well, what's the next step? How do I invite? How do I discern what God would have me do with this friendship that I am developing? How can I help move someone or help them move closer to Jesus? We have to be discerning. You know, I, uh, people ask me this question all the time. Um, I, that, that's a lie. People don't ask me this question all the time. People often ask me, why isn't our church growing? Or why isn't the big C church growing? My question to them, as I bite my tongue, is when was the last time you invited somebody? Because I often am asked that in a very legitimate way, and I, I agree, and I concur, and all that sort of stuff. And I ask, but I ask myself the same question: Why doesn't the church grow? Well, when was the last time we invited somebody? Now, let me tell you how you invite and what you invite them to matters. If a person is far from God and you're like, oh my gosh, like Pastor Paul's doing this new members class on Presbyterianism and what it means to be a great Presbyterian and what Presbyterians are all about and the historic narrative of the Reformed context and don't invite them to that. It is a great class, but don't invite them to that. But we as a church offer so many different opportunities. The father-daughter dance, the mother-son warrior night, Easter, Christmas, we, the mother-daughter. T- I mean, it's like I, you look at the schedule of all the things that we do. There are so many ways to be inviting people in. Are we inviting people? Are we helping move people closer to Jesus? Okay, I got to wrap up because we're ordaining an elders, elders and deacons this morning. And I'm super stoked about that. But I got to make two really quick points. The, the last one, the, the next last point is this idea under discerning. 
Number one reason why people leave the church. We would probably say politics, preaching, teaching, leadership, bad, whatever it is. The number one people leave the church. Guess what? The reason why? They move. Which you're like, duh, well, duh, that makes sense, right? Yeah, they move. They, they, but guess what happens? When they move, they do not find a new church. They can't find a church like the one they had. They get online, whatever it is. The number one people leave the church is they move. But what does that mean for you and for me in the terms of invitation? There are so many people in our community who have simply moved. They have not moved away from their faith. They have not moved away from God. They have just simply physically, geographically moved. And all it takes as you develop a friendship and as you discover stories to say, hey, love to have you come join me. Discerning next steps. Wrapping up right here. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses 20, 21. A reminder of who we are according to the apostle Paul. If I can get to my notes. Here we go. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Apostle Paul says, you all are ambassadors. And what does an ambassador do? They represent a nation, a country, a people to another group. They speak for that nation. For you and me, for those of us in this room who follow Jesus, you're an ambassador. Not because I told you, but because the Apostle Paul told you. You bear the image of Christ into this world. You're his ambassador. You speak for him. As you develop friendships, as you help people to see, as you help people to know that they are seen, known, and loved, as you discover their story, and as you discern, how can I help someone, this friend of mine, move closer to Jesus? That's our task.